so we have some scripture readings uh, and an insert in your bulletin, and um, it's kind of interesting. You'll say that they've got some some red words there. There's a number of them, uh, a, a couple that we're going to be referring to this morning, some we're going to be um, referring to next time. Uh, there's some words in red, and what, what happened there was um, I was working on this, and I was just kind of jotting some, some thoughts and some notes for myself uh, next to these things, and I was putting them in red, and then they showed up um, on, on Pam's computer because we were working in a shared thing, and she pointed them out, and I said, you know what, let's just, we'll, we'll just leave them in there, um, just to give you an idea of some of my um, little kind of running thoughts and, and commentary there. And um, we're focusing a lot today really on the first, um, first couple, um, where today is part three of the series of, that's titled Your Magic Wand. And we've been focusing on a foundational passage of scripture from Proverbs that says, as a person thinks, so they are. We've been looking at this in terms of um, how do we control the dials of our lives where we adjust the input and which then affects the output. Um, and that output we think of as the output is our experience of life and what we sometimes call reality, we think of as reality. As a person thinks, so they are. When we ended last time, it was September 24th, um, I introduced what we were going to be focusing on today, which is expectations. And I said, as a teaser, I said, our expectations influence not just a gigantic part of how our life feels, but our expectations completely control the, our entire sense of satisfaction or disappointment, all the way from complete joy to outrage and all points in between. And that is our first point today. So where do our expectations come from? Regardless of where they come from initially, something that is worthwhile for us to be able to focus on is that our expectations get nurtured and they get kept active and alive by the ongoing messages that we tell ourselves. Those teeny tiny, many times imperceptible almost, little messages, running commentary that we have going on in our minds, little phrases, things that we tell ourselves about might be how fair we think something is. That's so unfair. Did we think we got what we deserved or not? I don't deserve this. You don't deserve this. Anytime you say to yourself things like, that's too bad, or that's weird, or that's okay, what you're doing is we're reinforcing some expectation. And here's a hint. Anytime you use the word should or shouldn't, whether you realize it or not, you say, that shouldn't happen. What you're doing is you're making a blanket proclamation of universal reality or cosmic law 
based on your point of view. And it's kind of like making a little God statement of how what we deem as should or shouldn't is then universally true and how the world should work. So anytime we use the word should or shouldn't, we give ourselves a little God status. We give ourselves a little promotion. You know? This shouldn't be. So step one in this whole process is, is awareness. Listen. Listen to your internal commentary. Those little remarks. I've shared this one before, um, and I think about it a lot. Research shows that we tell ourselves somewhere between 60 and 80,000 little messages every day, self-talk. And they remind us of our place in the world. They remind us in little ways who we believe we are. I don't deserve this. Or you know what? I do deserve this. What we believe we deserve. Or who we believe other people are. Well, I guess they got what's coming to them. What they deserve. Whether we like or approve what they do or not. Well, that's weird. Labeling things as good or bad. And altogether, this creates a framework through which we evaluate everything in the world. Some people have said, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Including minor comments like, another rainy day? Seriously? And when we say a little comment like that, it makes us feel one, day, one way about the day. Or we could say, you know, to ourselves, what a beautiful day. Look at the rain. Thanks, God. It's good to be alive. And that makes you feel a different way. 60 to 80,000 messages that we tell ourselves every day. How does that affect us? I, I know somebody who commutes every day. He commutes 95 south from here to Stanford. And just about every day, you know, I to talk to him and he, and he says, oh, you wouldn't believe it. This morning's traffic, it was crazy. It took me an hour to get there. It should have taken me 20 minutes. And I'm like, really? <laughs> You're telling yourself this every day. You're setting yourself up. And every day it takes you an hour. And you're telling yourself, it should be taking me 20 minutes. What does that do to you? So the first thing we do is notice. Second thing you do is when you do notice some self-talk, ask yourself two questions. One, is it true? And two, is it helpful? Is what you're saying to yourself in little ways, is it nurturing in any way? Is it strengthening? Is it nourishing? Does it add positively anything to your life and to those people around you? And if not, start replacing them. This is what spiritual practice is about. How do you do that? 
One method after you notice is actually called arguing with yourself. Things always go wrong for me. Things always go wrong. I'm so, God, I'm such a jerk. What an idiot. Is that true? And is it helpful? If not, do three things. Argue, delete, and replace. Because as a person thinks, so they are. Now the interesting thing is we think in terms of words, 60 to 80,000 a day. We, we don't just think in terms of words though, we also think in terms of, of images, pictures in our mind. Now, when I was young, I realized I had a couple of images that set me up with some expectations about life. For one thing, I grew up with my two favorite television shows, I Dream of Jeannie and Bewitched. <laughs> now, if you don't think that those shows will set you up as a kid with some kind of ideas about life and relationships. Fortunately for me, Laura has met every one of those. She is truly magical. The second image that I grew up with was, was interesting. I, I had this image that I, I, I picked up somewhere along the way. Um, about navigating life. And I had this image that navigating life was, was something like whitewater canoeing or kayaking. You know? And I did some whitewater canoeing when I was young. And I, and I pictured that if I were spiritual enough and smart enough and if I knew enough psychology, if I became wise enough, that then I would be able to navigate my way through life like an expert whitewater canoer or kayaker and be able to paddle my way through the roughest and through the wildest currents. And I thought, you know, if I'm good enough, I should be able to avoid smashing into all the big boulders of life. Now, I still think that mastery in life can be a lot like that in some ways. But now I also realize that by setting my expectations with that image of life, of, of being able to navigate and, and avoid life's rough spots, because of that, I, I realized later on that I would always end up disappointed to some degree. Because what I did not include in my model, what I did not include in my expectations, is the fact that, you know, problems and difficulties are not always things to necessarily avoid. But some of them are just an integral part of and just included in what it means to be alive. 
So if you're having some problems, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's an error in the system. So later on in, in my life, and I, I thought about this stuff a lot when I was young, I, when I was in my late 20s, I was reading a book that I actually found the other day in my library, and it's called The Road, Road Less Traveled, right? Very well known, came out in 1978. Um, and, and I was reading this, the first three words in this book gave me a very welcome epiphany. And the book begins by saying, anybody, anybody know, remember, who read this? Life is difficult. Life is difficult. I read those three words, and then I underlined them, and then I put an asterisk by them, <laughs> and then I boxed them in. And they had such an impact, I just, I had to put the book down and just kind of let them sit for a little bit. Life is difficult. Later on, I found some very similar words, the words from the book of Genesis that sound pretty harsh, but I think that they're actually very kind the words that we have in your bulletins that say life is toil and we work by the sweat of our brow. It sounds negative, but for me, that sets some entirely different expectations about what I think life should be and what I should expect. Because for the previous 26 years, I've been telling myself, and I, and I still catch myself telling myself that sometimes that life is supposed to be easier. And it creates this feeling for me that every time a problem or difficulty comes up, I get kind of surprised. <laughs> I get annoyed. I get disappointed. Why is this problem invading my, my life that's supposed to be peaceful? It's like every new problem is an error in the system. It's like, ah, why is this happening? Instead of, this is what it is. Okay, let's go. So what I learned by deleting the old and replacing with the new, which is a constant process, is that, you know what, problems happen and life is difficult. And so, when times of ease does happen, when times of grace, when times of pleasure, when moments of peace those sweet gifts from God, though they are not the norm, when they do occur, Paul, savor them. Treat them as they should be treated, with gratitude, 
with care, and not with a sense of entitlement, like they should be there all the time. When I learned that, my joy and my satisfaction just shot up, and my frustration and disappointment with life diminished. Because as a person thinks, so they are. I find that this is an entirely different set of expectations than what our culture pounds at us and pounds at our kids in terms of how life should be. How much pleasure should we be having? How much entertainment? How much, how much, how many challenges? How many ribbons and awards should we be getting? How stress-free is life supposed to be? So point number one, our expectations completely determine whether we think our life is good and blessed or disappointing. Point number two, is life supposed to be easy or difficult? And point number three, our happiness is not based on what we have or how good our surroundings are. But our satisfaction is based on how closely our life matches up with what we hoped it would be. It's been said, happiness is not getting what you want, it's wanting what you have. So a little story as we close for the day. And I'm going to begin the story with a question. Is um, going on a vacation to Europe a good thing? Is staying at a nice hotel and going to some nice restaurants, is that a good thing? Is that a happy thing? Or is it a bad and painful and frustrating thing? I would say, well, it all depends, right? It all depends. A number of years ago, Laura and I, <clears throat> we went to London for the first time. Uh, Aaliyah, our daughter, was studying their semester abroad. We'd never been there before, so it was exciting, and it was so much fun. And we stayed in a nice hotel, and we did a day's worth of tremendous sightseeing. We had a few nice meals. And then the first night, at midnight, we got a call that our youngest son, Parker, was playing lacrosse and he had a terrible accident. And he took a very hard hit. And in a daze, we're talking with the hospital and he's in emergency surgery. And it's funny what happens in a moment. <laughs> Because at midnight in the days, we were speaking to the surgeon and who's saying he's very sorry, but the hit was so bad that they had to remove one of Parker's organs that got destroyed. Now in an instant, this whole wonderful scenario of, that had all the markers, external markers of being great, relaxing, trip of a lifetime, this whole thing turned into a source of pain and frustration. Why, did any of that change? No. 
it just instantly became the thing that was preventing us from where we wanted to be, which was at home in the hospital with our son. And so now, this terrific vacation became a place to get away from as fast as we possibly could. So when you're thinking about your life, it's, it's never the thing itself that creates the happiness. It's the expectation. It's where you want to be. As they say again, happiness isn't getting what you want. It's wanting what you got. So the fourth secret that we learn from Scripture that will help you create expectations that will support your joy is happy is the person who can best adapt and welcome change. In other words, the person who learns the power to behold what is happening now. To behold, to change, to adapt, to welcome. And our Bible along this line offers a number of different scripture passages about how to adapt and how to welcome change. And each one of them recognizes that one of the major creators of our unhappiness and stress and causes for our distress is our aversion to accepting life as it is versus how we think it should be. And so our aversion to embrace change. And because this topic is so big, This is where we're going to pick up next time.